Welcome to MatchCast, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm Chris, and we are very happy to be joined today by Ardath Albi. Ardath is CEO and B2B marketing strategist for a consulting firm, Marketing Interaction. 30 years in business management, marketing operations to uh, help clients create persona-driven digital content marketing strategy. Ardath is the author of a couple books, including Digital Relevance, her most recent, and we're really excited to have her with us. Thank you for joining us, Ardath. Thanks for having me, Chris. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Thanks. So we met Ardath here in Chicago uh, at a conference called Content Jam, put on by some mutual friends of ours, Orbit Media. And Ardath, in, we attended your, your session where you spoke, and after listening and just like the things you were saying and, and focusing on were just so up our alley and really what we're trying to develop as a firm ourselves. And just knew that our listeners, small business owners, small, medium-sized business owners and other marketers would really benefit from hearing your perspective. So thanks again for being here. Absolutely. When it came to your talk, one of the first, one of the things we loved about it is it seemed like you take a very process-oriented and kind of tools-driven approach to B2B persona development. And we really love it when there are tools and kind of things that can take something that is qualitative and yet measure it. Uh, do you mind helping us a little bit with introing us to your to your buyer persona tool and, and how you think about that and what you do for clients with that tool? Basically, the, the approach is you need to talk to people. So, you know, I always start personas by talking to people within the company. So all the different internal stakeholders, everybody from marketing to product management and marketing to salespeople, especially salespeople, because you need their buy-in and you need to make sure that the work you're doing is going to serve them, that the personas actually relate to people they want to speak with. Otherwise, you have a big problem on your hands. And I've gotten into that situation before where, you know, everybody didn't make sure everybody was on the same page. But the essence of it really is talking to your customers and really understanding them. But it's not just about talking to people. Once you have all of that input, you need to figure out how you're going to use it. And so you have to do a lot of research to back that up. And there are a ton of tools that can help you validate the things you've heard. So for example, I live on LinkedIn. I mean, never before has there ever been a site where people just like your buyers are putting their own personal information online about the jobs they do and how they interpret the jobs they do. But in addition to that, people are providing recommendations at which describe how they see people. Like, you know, Sally was a great mentor to me when I was, you know, learning my job or whatever. And, you know, Felix is extremely process oriented and really focused on the details. And if you start seeing repetitions of these things, then you can draw a conclusion that people who are in that type of role tend to have some of these characteristics. And so what you're really looking at for personas from a marketing perspective are the commonalities because we're not just trying to reach one-on-one, -on -one, you know, we haven't gotten there yet. We're really as marketers trying to reach the widest swath of a segment possible and engage them and get them to move forward with us in deciding to solve their problems. And so we really need to pay attention to what are the big deal things. So, you know, I've, I've 
been in a conversation where a CMO has said, well, I was just talking to Charlie's, one of our best customers. And this morning, Charlie told me X. So, you know, this persona doesn't fit because it's not Charlie. Well, Charlie is only one. Right. So we have to really be careful that we don't let ourselves go astray because of Charlie's. Falling in love with the anecdote, but it's really just a sample size of one and you need a bigger sample size than that. So you're, you're saying you use a tool like LinkedIn to find more commonalities so you can have a little bit of a data-driven process to know who these people are, correct? Yes, exactly. And right now I'm working on a project where we're actually doing uh, a survey to gather some quantitative knowledge. And, as a, and part of the process of that is asking people to volunteer to be interviewed in addition to the survey. And they're signing up like crazy, which is wonderful. But uh, really taking a look at how can you mix quantitative and qualitative together. You know, and a, another site is Crystal Nose, where you can go out and input the names of people in particular roles, and it feeds you back characteristics that, they, that are drawn from all of their social interactions and different expressions online. So you can gather a, a bunch of those and start to see patterns. And so there are a variety of ways now where we can apply data to validate things about our market, our totally addressable market, not just the people that are in our database. This is really an important part point because a lot of times the people in our database, we've attracted not exactly the right people given the type of content marketing we've done before personas. So we need to look beyond you know, the information we all have on our own. But the thing really that's important to me about personas is that they need to include actionable information that actually provides the foundation for your content marketing strategy. So for my personas, I include nine different components. And one of the most important components to me are the questions that a persona would have at each stage of the buying process. And so if you think about that and you can figure out their informational needs, you know, what they're questioning about the entire time, then you can figure out how you would answer those questions. And in figuring out the answers, you're actually figuring out the premise for your content pieces across that journey. And it's really a key point to how you apply personas into programs and action instead of saying, well, we've done our personas, check the box, put them in the file. Now what should we do? You know? Yeah. So I'm hearing you say a couple of things. One, people get personas, they check the box, they put them in a file. Two, they over rely on, you know, an anecdote because the CMO had a conversation that morning. And and this crystal nose tool is awesome. We'll include it in the in the show notes. What what other common mistakes do you see people make in this persona part of the process? Because you're, you're starting to get into then what you do once you have the persona, and that's the content marketing strategy, and you line up pieces of content at different stages of the buying process. We'll get into that. But what are the other some other common hangups you see people trip over? when it comes to the persona part of the face? Yeah, one of the most common is that we don't step away from our too much knowledge thing. And so it was really um, interesting. I was talking to a couple of marketers who had built personas and they went through this process where they built a persona and they did it internally. They got all their people in the room and they built a persona based on what they knew because they figured they knew their customers. And so they built this persona and after they had completed it, they realized that it was totally about them, their software, what they thought. It had really nothing to do with the customer. And so what they did was they went out on customer sites. This is a construction software company. They went out onto customer sites and they actually videoed the people who were their personas in real life and had them talk to them about their jobs. So they did a day in the life kind of videos and stuff. 
And by sending their marketers out to the job sites and interviewing their actual personas, they got a totally different view. And so when you hold up the new persona versus the one they had created internally, it's like night and day. It's two totally different things. And once they had created the new personas, their marketing skyrocketed, went through the roof because they were so relevant, so related to the people they were trying to engage and really understood them that they were able to create information that those people really needed, whether or not it led to the software. So by helping them actually run their companies and, you know, in certain areas where they had expertise, they were able to build relationships that that then translated over into selling their software. That's really powerful. And you think about how many ways that benefited the company. The, the, The example you're giving, the whole reason that you did it, of course, is to get the persona right and have actually video where you're staring at. Be like, what are they saying? What emotions are they expressing? They're telling you right now what their job is. You can't, you can't argue with that. But then even like probably the goodwill that they got from just reaching out to customers in that way and getting that that content. Like, I mean, imagine how that benefited the organization kind of up and down. It's amazing. Well, absolutely. And so the, the biggest mistake that I see people make is that they don't go in depth enough. So for example, under goals, they'll say, well, you know, this persona is interested in efficiency. Great. What does that mean, actually? <laughs> you know? Or this persona has to, you know, generate higher revenues. What does that mean? Where's the scenario? What does it look like? What's the context? And so personas really need to get to that context level. Now, the other thing that is huge for me, especially in B2B, is that there's a committee. So you're not just selling to one persona. So there's, let's say, five. And so are we looking at how do those personas how, how are, do the relationships exist between those different five? What are the conversations those five have with each other? You know, whether one-on-one or, you know, what are the pushbacks? What are the conflicts? What are the things we need to help them resolve with each other? And how can we create content that helps them have those conversations? Because if our ideas can be what they use in those conversations, where do you think they're going to turn when they need more? So we really need to look at, you know, what are, what are those different relationships and how do we help facilitate that? And CEB, I don't know if you've read the Challenger customer, what they found in their research was that buying committees reach the height of conflict. It's 37% of the way through the process. Well, also according to CEB, they don't reach out to a vendor until they're 57% of the way through the, the process. So if they're failing to decide to move forward at 37% of the way through, how many opportunities are we actually missing out on because we as marketers don't start early enough in the story trying to engage these people? It sounds like there's a ton, most of them, based on those numbers. So then can you give an example? How would you, how would you create a piece of content that either helps these two people, say in this case, they're kind of in opposition about maybe this initiative they might take on within the same organization. Are you writing about the actual decision they're making? Are you writing about their relationship with one another and how different organizations work? What would be an example of how you would execute that a content strategy for different personas within the same company? So when I build personas, I start all the way back at status quo. So what is their situation today? Okay. So this also applies to you know, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey and that kind of thing. So to interrupt you real quick, the, the Joseph Campbell hero journey was awesome piece of your presentation. And just to kind of catch up, catch the listeners up, this is a construct, the literary construct that Joseph Campbell came up with and RDF applies this to the um, kind of storytelling 
piece of this content strategy development work. So sorry about that. Go ahead. Yeah, I know we'll get there. I jumped ahead, but you're so excited about it. You're jumping ahead. I love it. Continue. Yeah, let's go back to status quo. So if we're going to get involved early and we're going to affect that 37% conflict, right? And help them keep moving forward and decide to move forward. There's a lot of stuff that goes on before they actually decide to move forward. A lot of marketers look at their prospects like they're already in market. They've already decided to solve the problem. Well, if they've already decided to solve the problem, they've already gotten information from somebody other than you about why they should do so. So we need to back it up and say, okay, your world today looks like this, and it's causing you these problems. And just because you think your workaround is working, it's really not. Here's what you're missing out on. Here's why you need to think about changing what you're doing today. We need to get in there early and we need to talk to them where they are because that's how we'll get their attention because it's relatable to them. If we're talking to them like they've already decided to change and they haven't, they'll just click on, you know, right. Because it hasn't have anything to do with their situation today. And they think, well, I don't need that. And so we need to back it up and actually prove the case for why they need to pay attention, you know, and what they're missing out on so that we can get them to start having these conversations internally. If we can become the driver of that, then we're already in, you know? And so there's a really cool thing that Dan Ariely, he wrote, um, Predictably Impossible. He did a bunch of research and what he found out was before people decide to change or buy anything, they don't have any preconceived notion about brand or how they're going to do it or whatever. But once they decide to change or buy something, and they find something appealing to them, that becomes like the anchor to them. So everybody else has to then unseat that idea that they've decided on is is how they need to approach solving their problem. We want to be the ones to become that anchor because then we've got a leg up and we're already in their mindset about how they want to move forward or why they should or whatever it is that allowed us to get in there And that's a very powerful position to be in. So, for example, I work with a lot of companies that say, well, when we get an RFP, you know, and I'm kind of like, okay, you're already missed the boat. You know, somebody else (laughs) helped them write that RFP and it's not you. So you're out, you know, they're just going through the motions. So, you know, we have to start earlier. We have to really understand what are our prospect situations today? You know, why should they change? And how do we help them see that as an opportunity? Or as a tragedy, if they don't actually change and they get left behind. Right. So, so starting early, starting before, early in the process, like before they would ever know to come contact you, that's a really powerful, I think, insight. Uh, and so then how does this relate to Joseph Campbell's hero journey as far as you're mentioning the status quo and the possibility of a tragedy? Can you walk our listeners through that, how you use that construct? Because again, it was one of my super favorite things from hearing you speak before. Yeah, so I've kind of simplified it for application to B2B marketing because you need to or you get overwhelmed with all the steps. But the basic thing about story, and I have a degree in in English literature and I write fiction novels for fun. And, you know, I've studied with some of the best-selling women's fiction writers out there. I've gone on writer's retreats and all that stuff. But anyway, what you need to think about with a story is that it always starts with trouble. It doesn't start with Jim got up this morning and brushed his teeth and stood there looking in the fridge trying to decide what to have for breakfast. Who cares, right? Boring. So a story always starts with trouble. And so what kind of trouble is your hero, your prospect, buyer, customer 
what kind of trouble are they in or what kind of trouble could be presented to them, right, that makes them have to do something. And so, you know, it's all about including emotions, right? And so fear of risk is huge these days, especially in B2B. Most, most of my clients or many of my clients sell big, huge, complex products that are millions of dollars. And, you know, signing up for that is like putting your career on the line a lot of times. And so, you know, the fear of risk is huge, but also, you know, the fear of being left behind, the fear of losing your market advantage. You know, I have a, a client today who is in that situation because they haven't changed because they were the market leader and they kept holding on to that. Now, all of a sudden things are shifting and they're going, oh boy, you know, and so they're looking at what do they need to do to shift to keep up? And so what you need to look at is a story starts with trouble. And so then once your buyer decides, oh my gosh, I have to do something, they're going to go out and try to do something. And chances are, it's not something they've done before, or at least not for a long time. The technology is different, whatever. They're going to run into trouble, obstacles, things they don't know. And so what they really need, um, following Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, is a mentor, somebody who's going to come along and give them the tools, the knowledge, whatever, to continue to move forward and help them get over these obstacles, right? Because otherwise they just fold up their tent and go home and say, this is too hard. I'm not doing it. And, you know, the devil that I know is better than the devil I don't and that kind of thing. And so the mentor in the story is you, the vendor, right? So we're going to share our expertise. We're going to help them figure out how to conquer these obstacles and keep moving forward, you know, and as they continue to move forward in a B2B story, the other characters or the other people on the buying committee are going to come in and get in their way. They're going to face conflict, right? They're going to get pushback. What if our users want to adopt this? What if it takes too long to implement? What if it doesn't do what the vendor promises it'll do? Whatever those questions are, all that what if stuff, right, that comes up, we have to make sure that our personas, our buyers, our characters, whatever, can answer that stuff, right, to keep the process moving forward. And so we play that role of mentor that facilitates each forward step. And so we have to figure out what does that look like? What does that journey look like? What are the tasks they have to do at each stage? How do we facilitate that given what the persona cares about, the different people they have to convince, right? What they're responsible for achieving, you know, their level of authority, you know, do they need help to get this thing through? Can they make the decision if they can convince everybody? So we need to really pay attention to all of those things. And then you reach this spot where it looks like the deal is just going to stall, right? Because there's so many obstacles and we have to help them get through that. It's kind of like the big climax to the story, right? And then as they decide to move forward, your customer becomes the hero of the story, pulls them through, and they get to that happily ever after or whatever. But what you can see when you're looking at this is there's a lot of ups and downs, right? It's not a flat thing. And so it's one of the reasons why it's, there's a lot of talk going on now about emotion and B2B, right? We have to get those highs and lows in there. We need to emphasize those conflicts and resolutions, right? Because otherwise people lose interest. B2B marketing doesn't have to be boring, even if it's around technology, which is a majority of what I spend my time writing about. It can still be interesting. There are still highs and lows, you know, and we have to figure out what those are for each of the people involved. And that's why to me, personas are the best construct I've found for being able to do that, and create content that's not only relevant, but it resonates, which means it will help people continue with that momentum. And part of the reason that it resonates, apart from like the emotional stuff that's about the person, is 
there are certain storytelling arcs that are just that just are naturally resonant. You know, mm-hmm. like you said, one of the more basic constructs shapes is just you start at status quo, say like, you know, boy meets girl, boy loses girl, he falls in a hole and then boy climbs out of hole. You know, it's like it's just a simple dip and back up. And if you're the person that when they're in the hole, you're handing them the tools or you even tell them beforehand, hey, there's a hole ahead of you. You're the mentor and you're the person that can can almost narrate their experience. And when your solution is the thing that gets them out of the hole, like that's where you're in a very powerful position as you kind of keep mentioning. Makes me think of, uh, I shared this with you before, but it makes me think of this recent research that was done on like sentiment analysis of the 2000 most read books of all time, including like very old texts and and that they were analyzing the shapes of the stories and to, to try to figure out where the commonalities are and the ups and downs that you're talking about. A lot of stories have, you know, uh, many ups and downs. And so what are all those shapes? And when you align your content marketing plan with those shapes that people already are familiar with, they're already interested in, because that's what, like, it's already been proven that these are the storytelling shapes that are most interesting to us. And so you align that with your hero's journey. And I just love that. I mean, it, it, I can feel that it connects to who you are personally and your educational background. I also have an English degree, although... I can't say I use it in all the cool uh, kind of writing exercises that that sounds like you do. I, I was not as smart or creative as you are in actually taking my English degree. I use it all the time when I write, but it sounds like you've more literally applied it than I have. So congrats on that. It's a it's a, obviously a longstanding joke for us English majors. Yeah, well, it's better than my business degree that was obsolete when I walked across the stage to get my diploma, you know? I have one of those too, and I know exactly what you mean. The thing that was interesting to me in that sentiment analysis of all the stories was the word choices and the difference in emotion that word choices could make. So one of the other things with personas is you want to look at tone and style. Are they carrot people or stick people? You know, negative, positive. What kind, how would they describe, you know, their goals and the things they do? We want to get close to that language because it will have more relevance for them. And when you look at company speak, the way we talk about our products and our tools, it's awful, you know, and it's the same as everybody else for the most part. And it's usually about us and not about the not about the buyer. But we also need to look at if we're going to engage our buyers, we need to be able to talk the way they talk, you know, and relate the way they relate. And even across industries, that's why you can't use the same content for everything. You know, in industries, there are different acronyms, there are different phrases, there are different you know, kind of slang words, if you will, that reference what they do. And it's different from one industry to another. And if you want to be seen as an expert who's going to help them as that key mentor, you need to sound like you know what you're talking about from their frame of reference. And that's another thing that personas help you get. And that's why talking to your customers is so important because you get that flavor when you talk to them. They use those words that are, you know, common to them. And if we try to do it internally, we're using what we think, not what they think. So would you literally, and this is something that we've been talking about internally a lot recently, would you literally write a list of words, like on a vocabulary sheet that you put on a board somewhere and you go through an exercise, like these are actually the words that they said in the interviews. These are the words that they're using to describe their work. These are the words that we have to use now? Yeah, think of it as a tone and style guide for your content developers. And, you know, not down to the, you know, every word you have to use, but the the flavor, the feel you want to evoke. If there are specific phrases, yes, of course, those are in the list. But you've, I'm sure, seen those. It's almost like a 
personality guide. You know, when we're writing to these people, we want to be this way, not that way. You know, we want to be friendly, not arrogant or, you know, whatever the things are. And then, you know, some key terms or phrases that help you accomplish those things. Examples of what to say or what not to say or how something changes. So one of the things that people don't think about with personas is that you can have a persona, let's just say a VP of marketing, and you can do pivots. So if you're approaching the VP of marketing in manufacturing versus technology, how would the content differ? You know, we also do it for region. You know, if you're talking to this persona in APAC versus EMEA, what's different? You know, so there can be different maturity levels, there can be different cultural implications, what have you. And so you can use your personas and pivot. A lot of times people think they need a different persona for every little thing. I had somebody call me the other day and say, we've identified 55 personas. And I said, go shoot yourself now and get it over with. (laughs) Come back when you have three. Yeah, you know, I mean, most of my clients are between three and seven, you know, because you can't, it's almost impossible to apply resource to more than that, you know, and people that can apply more to three are doing really well. That's hard. Yeah. More than three would be hard. I would, I would think, especially if you're, if you're doing it on the early end of things, meaning you haven't done a lot of it yet. And I've had clients where I say, look, you have the resource to address one. So let's do one and do it really, really well. And then we'll have a general track. And when you get that one nailed, then maybe we can add resource to do another. But it's, you know, even doing one can produce amazing results for your company, especially if you're a smaller mid-sized company. Really engaging extremely well with one persona can make a huge difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so we've just got a few minutes left here, Ardeth. I am interested in the uh, in our in our couple minutes left. The, at the very beginning of the episode, you you mentioned the app that helps in the persona development. Do you mind telling us a little bit about that? Sure. It's a couple of years old. The URL is upcloseinpersona.com. And what they did was they took my methodology and they created an app online. And so you go out and it asks you to define you know, all the questions, answer all the questions about a persona in order to build one using most of the components I use today. Of course, it's what I do has evolved a little bit over the last couple of years, but it's a really solid little tool and you can go out and define everything. And at the end, it will PDF everything together and send it to you. So you have your persona and you can also, I believe, save it and come back and work on it over time if you need to. But it's a way to step yourself through building a persona and thinking about the things you need to know and answer in order to get insights that you need to apply them to your content marketing strategy. So it's one way, especially for small and mid-sized companies that may not have a lot of resource, to go out there and really start thinking about what's the information I need to to get to know about my buyers in order to create a persona. Sounds awesome. We'll definitely link to that in the show notes. I think we're going to, as soon as this is over, we're going to, I'm going to go do it myself. Uh, sounds like a great, a great first step to really start thinking about this. And maybe when you're done with that, you're like, I have to go video interview all of my best customers <laughs> so I can actually go deep on this. Cause I love that example. I love that exercise. Thank you so much for for all of the insight. You've given us so many things, different books to link to and, and read, and we'll we'll link to all of that in the show notes. If someone wants to better understand your approach, learn more about you and, and the way that you think, is is your book the best place to go at the moment? Uh, probably my book. Uh, my website, I have a blog that I don't get to as often as I would like because of my project load. <laughs> Isn't that the way it goes when you're a content marketing strategist? It is, but my book. And then there's 
an intelligent guide to buyer personas that has an excerpt from my book, Digital Relevance, as well as my perspective on personas that I, I believe there's a link to download it on my buyer persona page on my website. So that would be helpful for people. Awesome. Well, we will definitely link to, looking at the Amazon page right now, Digital Relevance, uh, Developing Marketing Content and Strategies that Drive Results with a little dollar sign in there. So we know what kind of results we're usually talking about. Arda, thank you so much. I'm sure our listeners really appreciate your time and your insights as much as we do. Anything else, any last thoughts you'd like to leave our listeners with? No, just go forth and create great personas and make your content marketing relevant. Go forth and multiply creating great personas. You will multiply your business if you create great personas. Thank you so much, Ardeth. We really enjoyed it. And uh, there's a lot in here that there's multiple moments where I thought, subject for another podcast, including the writing stuff. So thanks again for your time. Very generous of you. And uh, we will be in close touch. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.